want to draw your attention now to the book of Acts as we continue our series there, uh, Acts chapter 3. And I'm going to begin reading uh, at verse 1, and I'm going to read the whole chapter this morning. So hear the Word of God as He speaks to us this morning in Acts chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Now Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He took him by the right hand, raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran together with them to the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made them walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. You denied the Holy One and the Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. And to this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. The faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things which God had spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those that came after him also proclaim these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we need you this morning. We need you to speak to us by the power of your Word through your Spirit, and we need you to do that work in us. Make us more like our Lord Jesus in every way, we pray. And we ask that as we sit together under the authority of your Word, that you would transform us, that you would change us, that you would make us whole. 
Father, we pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we have the victory. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Satan, you have to flee. And then it says, oh, tell me, who can stand before us when we call on that great name? Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, we have the victory. <laughs> that song, which is very simple, not theologically complex, has embedded in it a great truth. And that truth is that in the name of Jesus is a power that brings victory to all who put their faith in Him. And let's be clear, it's not just any Jesus in whom this power resides. No, no, we're not, we're not talking about just any Jesus. We ain't talking about Jesus Franco, the film director, or Jesus Shuttlesworth, the fictional character and He Got Game. You can call on all those Jesuses all you want, but there is no power in those names. There may be some worldly talent in those names, but there is no power to bring the kind of victory that God has promised to bring to all those who put their faith in Jesus, in Jesus of Nazareth, the servant of God, the Holy One, the Righteous One, the author of life, the Christ. I want to impress upon you, what I want to impress upon you this morning is what Peter wanted to impress upon all those listening to his message, those who had just seen a powerful work done in that name that day all those many years ago. Peter wanted to impress upon his hearers that what they had been waiting for all their lives, that what their ancestors had pointed toward through the mouths of the prophets was now here in the person and work of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And I'm using the word victory to describe what they had been waiting for. A victory the apostles had just witnessed when God raised him from the dead, defeating death itself. That victory, brothers and sisters, a victory that brings with it all of God's promises of forgiving and healing and restoration and peace and the like belongs to all of us who have our faith in Jesus this morning. As I've been saying these past few weeks preaching through Acts, you and I together with all of God's people around the world, we've been called out to bear witness to Jesus, to bear witness to the victory that has come in and through Him. And it begs for us a question. Do, do we actually know the victory that comes through Jesus? Can we say that we have experienced the transforming power of that name in our own lives? Are, are we still like this lame man leaping for joy when we think about what Jesus has actually done for us? I'm not asking if your life is filled with good things every day. I know the road gets rough, and I know the going gets tough, and I know you have some hills to climb. I know the reality of spiritual warfare and the anxiety and the depression that can cloud your days. I know that sinking feeling that can come over you when you feel you are being assaulted on every side by life's circumstances. But I also know the one of whom it was sung, I was sinking 
deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry and from the waters lifted me. Now safe am I. If we know that Jesus, and if we put our trust in him, then we are called out like Peter and John to share that name with those around us. And here's the thing, we know that people look to other things for that victory that God wants to bring in their lives. Things that are either less than that victory or the opposite of it. And in this text this morning, we see that contrast in this man's healing and Peter's sermon between what God is offering and what those other things offer. In the next few moments, I, I want to encourage you, encourage all of us this morning in our faith to receive what God is offering to us in the name of Jesus, and as the church, to offer it to our neighbors around us, both near and far. So what is it that God is offering us in the name of Jesus that we're called to receive for ourselves and that we're called to share with our brothers and sisters around us? Well, I want to start by saying he is offering us relationship over alms. Relationship over alms. What do I mean? In the story of the healing of the lame man, we're told that his condition was one that he had suffered from birth. He had not known a day of freedom from this condition. And as a pastoral aside, I, I just want to encourage you that if you have suffered some condition, any condition, that has brought pain and suffering to your life. I want to tell you this morning that God sees you. I want to tell you this morning that God sees you. And if it's not you, but your children who are enduring some brokenness in mind or body, I want you to know this morning that God sees them. And His grace and His power are there to give you and to give them what you need, whether that be healing or just the power of His day-to-day -day presence with you and them to persevere and endure in your faith. But here this man was, he was lame from birth, and we are told that he sat daily at the gate of the temple, essentially begging for alms, begging for people's charity. Don't miss this. His condition meant that his ability to participate in the larger community had been severely damaged. His work would have been limited. He couldn't attend the day-to-day -day functions of the community without help. Indeed, even getting to the temple would have required help. And perhaps he had stayed there many a night because he had no one to help him get back and forth. He was completely dependent on the generosity of others with no freedom to participate in community on his own. And yet, note his location. I want you to note his location. He is at the gate of the temple. He is at the very place where God had determined to call his name to dwell among his people. He's at the very gate, the very place where God's presence was said to dwell. He was at the very place where people were going in and out to meet with God. And yet here he was at this gate, at the house of God, settling for alms. He was outside of the house of the gift giver, settling for the gifts of men. Well, don't get me wrong, the charity likely provided the temporal help he needed from time to time. The alms could provide a, a, human, a human taxi ride 
home day today rather than staying out in the elements. They could provide food for today rather than going hungry. They could maybe, even if he had enough, provide additional clothing to replace worn and torn clothes. The alms could provide the much-needed temporal relief. Alms are good, but they can't make you whole. Charity is helpful, but it can't transform you. No, he needed what was on the other side of the gate, but the circumstances of life had left him on the wrong side of the gate. Some of us know about being on the wrong side of the gate. We're used to settling for alms, but I'm glad this morning that God can't be contained behind gates. I'm glad for His own word which proclaims, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? And what this man discovered that day is that God had actually stepped outside of the gate. He discovered that name which resided in that place was now resident in a person. And so Peter and John, at his request for alms, tell him essentially, we don't have alms for you today, brother, but we got something far better than that. We got a name. We got a name through which your need to beg will come to an end. We have a name in which your participation in community can be restored. We have a name in which the joy of God that He meant for you can be received by you, a name which can meet you in your need, a name through which you can meet God Himself. You see, brothers and sisters, the restoration of this man's body wasn't the whole story. It wasn't like once his body got healed, he wasn't going to have any more problems. No, what this man needed was the Lord Himself to experience the power of relationship with the Lord whose very presence transforms everything. A name in which he could now put his trust for the help that he needed day in and day out. And some of you all know that name. Some of you have experienced that name. Some of you have allowed that name to transform your own life. And some of you can testify this morning that because of that name, you are now healed. Because of that name, you are now saved. Because of that name, you are now transformed. Because of that name, you are not now what you used to be. But God is working in you and on you to make you everything He intends for you to be. See, the problem is God offers us Himself, but we'd rather settle for the charity. (laughs) Don't don't, Don't mishear me this morning. Don't mishear me this morning. We're called to give people physical and material aid. The Scriptures are clear on this matter. We're called to work in our community to, 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 to for, for better systems and better structures that don't take advantage of the weak and that provide generosity for the fatherless and the widow and the alien in our midst. To not do good materially for those in need is not to have the Father's love in us. That's what John tells us in 1 John. For our God is a God who responds materially to the needs of the, His creation, especially those among the poor of the earth. But if our ministry if in our ministry to the community around us, if we're only doing good to them materially without presenting to them the one in whose name we do that good, if we mend bodies and repair structures 
without introducing people to the one in whose name we do that work. If the poor come to us and they find shelter and they find food and they find aid, but they do not find Jesus, then we are only providing them temporal relief. And temporal relief is not what God has come in Jesus to bring us. He has come in Jesus to bind us to Himself and to speak those powerful words in our ears and in our hearts, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I just want to tell you this morning, I just want to tell you something. I'm glad for all the good that people have done for me. I'm glad for all of the resources I have received to help me in times of need. But I got to tell you this morning, there are times when in the midnight hour, when I am all alone, when there is no one to talk to, when there is no one to help, when I am in despair and when I am in need, that I need something more than what your material gifts can do for me. I need the name of Jesus. I need the presence of the Lord to be with me, to rock me to sleep when I am filled with anxiety, to, to, to lift me up when I am in despair, to, to, to give me hope when I am losing perspective, to, to to help me to know that I belong to somebody and that I am somebody. What this man received was not just alms, he received Jesus himself. And what I'm saying to us this morning is that our ministry activity in this community has to be built or have built into it the proclamation of the name that makes people whole. Otherwise, what will easily develop is a paternalistic dependency in which people see us as their source and not Christ. And make no mistake about it, there is in us a desire to be the source, to be the ones whom people praise. And yet, did you know in the text, it's not Peter and John that the man praises for the healing that he receives. He's clinging to them, but he's praising God. Amen, people of God. And if the community clings to us and praises God, then we're doing something right. <laughs> Amen, people of God. Amen. In the name of Jesus, God wants to give you relationship <laughs> over alms. But he also wants to give you life over death. As Peter launches into his explanation to the crowd of what they have just witnessed, he makes a profound statement of of another contrast between what God is offering and what we're often tempted to cling to. He calls the crowd to account for what had happened to Jesus, saying this, but you denied the holy and righteous one, and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead, and we are witnesses. I want us to let that sink in. What Peter is saying to this crowd is you chose death over life. You chose death over life. You chose one who demonstrated his commitment to death over the one who is the very author of life. You chose one who demonstrated his commitment to murder over one who, who demonstrated his commitment to save. And if you bear with me for, for a moment, it is even more stark than that. Because Peter says before this statement that, that, that the God of their fathers glorified his servant Jesus. Now, now I don't think 
by glorifying that Peter is necessarily speaking about the resurrection or the exaltation of Jesus. Rather, I think he's saying something similar to what he said to that last crowd when he spoke to them of what Jesus had done. He said, Jesus was a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. He's saying something like what John said when he said, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full, from the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, you saw God's glory in what he did. You saw his works. And yet, having seen his work, having seen his glory, the glory of God in him, you chose a murderer over him. Should let that sink in. Should let that sink in for a second. And herein lies the contrast. God offers us life. And because of our own sinful agendas, we sometimes choose death instead. That sink in for a second. I mean, think about it. Why was Barabbas chosen over Jesus? He was chosen because Jesus wasn't getting with the program. <laughs> he wasn't advancing the agenda that they thought the Messiah was supposed to advance. Rome was still running things. Their nation was still under occupation. Their enemies were still boasting over them. Give us Barabbas, at least he can fight. At least he knows how to throw some hands. <laughs> and isn't, isn't that just like us? Ready to join with anybody who can fight, no matter what their agenda is, even if it's an agenda that serves death. Give us Barabbas. As long as we win, we don't care. Oh, y'all don't know what I'm talking about, right? You're quiet this morning. You don't know what I'm talking about. As long as we win, we don't care. Give us Barabbas. But Jesus didn't come to kill. He didn't come to steal. He didn't come to destroy. He came that we might have life and that we ha might have it more abundantly. What we need is life and what our neighbors need is life. What we, we need it and they need it the way that God defines it, not the way we define it. I'm here to tell you that life is not the American dream, that life is not any other nation's dream. That is not your own sinful pleasures being served at the expense of others, whatever those pleasures are. Life as God defines it is being right with God, is being right with each other, is being right with the creation around us. It is doing the good that God has commanded us to do in the Ten Commandments, loving God and loving our neighbor as well. It is doing those things realizing that it will cost me resources and it will cost me time, that it will require repentance, that it will require forgiveness that it will require listening and learning while exercising the fruits of the Spirit, fruits that only He can provide and produce within me. And all of it comes through faith in the name of Jesus. So God wants to produce life in you as He defines it, a life in which you are turning away from the things that bring death and toward those things that make for life. And so it means asking yourself a question means asking ourselves a question. Are there places in my life where I'm asking for Barabbas rather than Jesus? I want you to think about that for a second. 
Before you think of yourself as being this really good person who never longs for anything bad, and you always, I mean, you came in here this morning, and you look good, and, 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 and you think you are good, and so you kind of here this morning, and, and, and you're worshiping and praising, and you're, you're saying, I know I'm a sinner, but really you think you're good, you think everything's together, you think you're not as bad as those other folk. I mean, some people are really bad, you are a little bad. You know, before you start thinking that, I just want you to ask yourself, pause for a moment, let the Holy Spirit do an examination of your heart and say, where am I sometimes asking for Barabbas over Jesus? Are there people in my life, let me make it a little more plain for you, whom God is calling me to forgive, who who I am choosing instead to hate? Are there addictions that God is calling, calling me to get help for that I'm choosing instead to continue to nurture and submit myself to? Are there ideologies that are harmful to others that I choose to keep promoting because they're helpful to me? Are there sins of any kind that I'm choosing to continue in for the pleasure they afford me rather than put them to death as God calls me to? Where am I asking for Barabbas over Jesus? If I was there, I would have been on the right side of the request. If I was there, I would have asked for Jesus, right? That's what you're thinking. If I was there, I would have, I would have asked for them to set the Lord free because I'm a, I'm a good person. I, I, I read the Bible and I love what Jesus does. I mean, I look at the things he's doing and it, made, it, it makes me happy. It makes me excited. I'm filled with joy. If I was there, I would have asked for Jesus. That's what you're thinking. But can I help you? If you were there, you would have asked for Barabbas because you would have wanted what you wanted. So where? Where am I asking for Barabbas over Jesus? My point is this, that acknowledging the ways we choose death over life is the beginning of seeing that life come to expression in us. We have to first confess our sins. And if we confess our sins, the Bible tells us what? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we gotta first of all be honest for the ways that we are sinning, for the ways that we are choosing the rabbis over Jesus. If your faith is in Him, He wants life for you, a life that comes through confessing your sin, repenting and turning away from it, and finding His cleansing power through the Holy Spirit to be at work in you. And so I got to be honest with the ways that I choose over against Jesus rather than choosing Him and His gospel and His agenda. And here's the crazy thing. If I confess it, He will forgive, and He will heal me, and He will change me, and He will transform me. Amen, people of God. Relationship over alms, life over death. Listen to this last thing, restoration over rejection. 
In the last section of our text, we see this final contrast between what God is offering, what we sometimes choose. Peter says this to the crowd. He says in verse 17, Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers, but God foretold, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that this Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and they may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. What's offered here is nothing less than the full forgiveness of God to us. God having stared down our sins and the full weight of the destructive impact of those sins does not turn away from us, but rather He calls us to turn away from our sin and receive the forgiveness that He offers to us. You see, Peter knew and repeats what his Lord had indicated on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. As human beings, we think we know everything. And while we can know the reality of our sins and sometimes uh, and know something of the destructive impact of those sins, we don't have the same knowledge that our God has. That's right. God knows better, better than you do the full weight and the full evil of your sins. And yet knowing it, he looks right at you and he says, if you confess your sins, I am faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And you know that that forgiveness comes through faith in the Son. We can say it, we, well, I guess we can say it can't be that way. <laughs> That's what we actually do say sometimes. It can't be that way. How can God know how wicked we are? How can He know how messed up I am? How can He know how sinful and, and broken I am and yet say, if I confess my sin, He will be faithful and just to forgive and cleanse me from all unrighteousness? It's because the rejection you should have received, the rejection you and I actually deserve because of our sin, that rejection was exhausted through Christ and His death on our behalf. Because of Him, you and I are offered refreshment in God's presence. Because of Him, we are offered participation in the world to come where all things will be restored. Because of Him, we are offered membership in the community of God's people who wait and work toward that day. Now, there is a warning embedded in this text, and it's one that we all need to hear, and that is, in fact, part of the message we're called to take out into the world. There is no other name in which this forgiveness comes than the name of Jesus. There is no other name through which this forgiveness comes than through the name of Jesus. There is no other name through which refreshment comes. There is no other name through which restoration comes. There is no other name through which membership in the family of God comes. There is no other name through which salvation comes. There is no other name through which healing comes. There is no other name through which real joy comes. There is no other name through which your, through which your sins are blotted out other than the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And so to reject Jesus 
is to reject participation in those things that God offers us in Him. This is what Moses was speaking to when he talked about that prophet that would be raised up like him, to whom everyone was to, li- one was to listen. This is the one whom the pro- prophets foretold when they spoke from Samuel to Malachi about the coming of the Lord's Christ. This is the one whom Isaiah calls wonderful, counselor, everlasting God, mighty Father, Prince of Peace. This is the one whom Peter called the Holy One and the Righteous One. This is the one whom someone called my lily in the valley, my bright and morning star. This is the one whom I call my way out of no way. This is the one whom I call my lawyer in a courtroom. This is the one whom I call my doctor in a sick room. This is the one whom I call my friend when I am lonely. This is the one whom I call the, 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 the great one, the, the, the righteous one, the, the holy one, the forgiving one, the, 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 the one who brings what is good and right and true to all who call on his name. This is the one, this is the one, this is the one through whom all all that is good and just and right and true comes. (laughs) Amen, people of God. So I want to encourage those of us in this room, and I want to encourage my brothers and sisters who are listening online and even those who may not be members of this body. Those who are frustrated with the slow movement or even the no movement of the church on matters of reconciliation, whether racial or socioeconomic or gender or or otherwise, I, I, I empathize with you deeply. Indeed, those of us who have been frustrated with the church around the slow movement or no movement on other matters ought to be able to empathize. And some of you, because of the pain and, and the frustration you felt in particular church spaces, you may have decided that you need to be in other church spaces for your own health. May God give you an abundance of wisdom, and may He give you grace to discern this for yourself. But my encouragement to all of us is this, don't give up on Jesus. Don't let the frustration spill over into a belief that perhaps Jesus and the Christian witness is not the answer to those challenges we face. I say this as a pastor who has seen frustration with the church turn into frustration with the Christian message itself. But there is no other prophet. There is no other savior. There is no other righteous one. There is no other holy one. There is no other author of life. There is no other name in which the healing of this broken world can come that in the name of Jesus Christ, our Messiah, our Lord, and our King. Don't give up on the name of Jesus and on the proclamation of God's truth that has come in and through him. Amen, people of God. Oh, tell me, who can stand be for us when we call on that great name, Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. We have the victory. (laughs) 